We are back live this week. Uh, had a week last week where we did a pre-recorded edition, but tonight we're going to once again dive into an area that a lot of Western Christianity doesn't want to venture into. We're going to be taking a look at dreams and dream interpretation. So here's the question, and the comment lines are open, and what do you think about this? Does God still speak to us today through dreams, and should we make an effort to interpret our dreams and gain some understanding from this? Well, tonight, our dream guy, Brian Newman, is going to be joining us to discuss this topic, and feel free to comment and uh, bring your questions along for this special edition concerning dreams and dream interpretation. Brian, welcome to Raven's Heart. Thank you, sir. I love your intro. It's, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I took took several years to get to that point to get an intro like that. So, man, I'll tell you, you do a lot of things. Uh, your resume is amazing. You're an ordained minister, sure. a dream interpreter, certified mm -hmm. life coach, a lyricist. I like that, too. Mm -hmm peer support specialist, and also, I really like this, you're a military veteran. You were in the United sure. States Air Force. Yes, sir. Four years, 2000 to 2004. And well, thank you for your service Texas, in the United States. Oh, thank you. Germany and Oklahoma. But okay. I was there with Floyd, but it uh, still counts, I think. <laughs> it does. Well, thank you for your service. Not only that, he is the founder of Psalm 16 Media and Equipping Ministry, and uh, also Hebrew Heart Singles Outreach. And one of your current projects, which I was featured on just two weeks ago, is the Shalom to Your Heart podcast. Uh, do you have time to sleep? Not much. It's the dreaminess. A little lax lately. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish I did. Because <laughs> someone talks about dreaming so much, I should probably do more of it. <laughs> uh, dream, uh, dreaming and sleeping, they do go together. It's very important if you're going to have dreams. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to ask you something about something else. Okay. in a few minutes that's related yes, to you. dreams where you're actually awake. Mm -hmm. Really, what what is a dream? You know, what's going on when we go to sleep at night? What's going on in our heads? So I'm not a linguist, uh, so I can't tell you all the exact words exactly, but in Hebrew, in most ancient world, ancient ancient languages that have more of a spiritual worldview, they just don't have one word for it. There's not dream, and that's it. There's different words, like a, a word for a dream that kind of you generate yourself, like you know your mind clutter, like a computer defragmenting. Psychology, like like Carl, uh, well, not Carl, Sigmund Freud would talk about, you know, your brain's defragmenting. Uh, and then Carl, and then Jung came along and talked more about there's a spiritual aspect of dreams. He's not even going to try to understand. He just knows it's there. But there's a different word for a dream that came from somewhere else. Like the dark, the dark side gave you a dream or the light side gave you a dream or you gave yourself a dream. And there's different words, these kind of things. And also sometimes at night, a dream is a parable. It's a symbol. But sometimes you have actually have a vision at night while you're sleeping called a night vision, which is you see something literally happening somewhere or literally happens just like you're watching on the news. Physically, literally happening. It's not a symbol. It's a night vision. And then another word for a vision while you're awake. So like Eskimos supposedly have always worked for snow because they deal with snow so much. And like if you're a computer person, you would have different words for all these computer parts. And most people would say that's a computer. But you might say that's a that's a laptop or that's a desktop or that's a tablet. You'd have these words for it. And the let, languages from cultures that took dreams seriously had their varying words for the varying kinds of dreams based upon their source. So what you're saying is there's different sources of dreams. Mm -hmm. What are those sources again? Where do they come from? So you can have a couple of sources. That's but John Paul Jackson kind of pioneered Christian dream interpretation for the modern church. And so there's intrinsic and extrinsic dreams. Intrinsic is when you give yourself a dream. You have something going on in your brain. You're processing it. Or you maybe sleep on the couch and the blanket falls off and it's really cold in the house and you dream you're in the Arctic. Your, your environment gave you that dream. Or you ate too much pizza and your stomach gave you a dream because it's that, or you're on medication that gave you a dream, or you're pregnant, or your brain's doing it. But it's all biological or natural or psychological because your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Your flesh is just your, your biological body. So one of those two things is intrinsic. You made this dream from natural things that happen to you naturally. 
But then there's extrinsic dreams where a spiritual force source to give you a dream like there's, you know, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the, the most high, the highest spiritual being there is, the one that was always is, always was, is everywhere all the time, knows everything, omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient. And then there's lesser spiritual beings that are don't have those kind of powers, but they're still spiritual beings. And they're in rebellion against him. They've refused to submit. And those, the darker, the dark forces can give you dreams too. So there's, you gave it to you somehow, some way, or an outside spiritual force gave it to you. And there's an outside spiritual force. That's either the creator or the destroyer at the end of the day. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. That, do, that does make sense. And it really gives me a lot of clarification. So mm -hmm. the big P dream that I had the other night, it's an intrinsic dream. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> that, I need to get out of bed and go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, it's like a literal pee in a pot or like go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if, you, if you if you feel the need to go to the bathroom, wake up if you can. Whoever does your laundry will appreciate it. How can you tell if a dream is from God? How can you discern where these are coming from? What was you? Because I know some people that they automatically say, well, I had a dream, so it must be from God. It's It's mm -hmm. got to be from God. And they get into some error that way. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people who are like, well, yeah, any dream you have, it's just too much pizza. How can you tell where it's coming from? So there's always a, a scriptural testing. Then there's more like a experiential testing. So a scriptural testing is like, does it contradict the written word? You know, does it tell you, if it goes tell you to murder someone, you know, either you didn't understand the dream, which is probably it's telling you to cut off relationship with them. It's not literally murder someone. Uh, it's telling you to violate some kind of commandment. Either it's not from God or you're not understanding it correctly. Or if it violates God's character, like if it totally just violates everything you know about God is totally contradictory. That's a that's a huge red flag. Everything God's described as in the Bible, like if it's blaspheming, you know, like some exorcist movie, then it's probably not probably not God. And then so those are this, and you also test the spirits. You can say, you know, did Jesus Christ or Yeshua Messiah, Yeshua Hamashiach come in the flesh? which means that he have a physical body because there's a lot of Gnosticism now that and Mormonism has a touch of it, uh, hypercharismania, some of it, but in Islam, Jesus never was crucified. It never happened. He just okay. never, ever died in a body. He came back uh, like that. So in John, it talks about testing the spirits so that, you know, the, 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 the Jesus coming to flesh and he, having a spiritual being in your dream and you ask him that, um, that's one way of testing it. There's also experiential ways. Does this flow with everything else God's been telling you? Like, God's like, Texas, Texas, Texas. And there's a, suddenly have a dream move to China. So is God that from God? And he's telling you Texas first, maybe China later? Or is this just something trying to monkey wrench you? But you can't go just on a dream. It's like you had to really, if you're going to make a life-changing decision, you wouldn't go to just one doctor. You would have two or three witnesses. Like if you want to get the surgery, you would go to two or three different doctors. Well, in the scriptures, you have two or three witnesses that are required, like two or three different scriptural authors, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I just say the same thing. They can't contradict each other. If they contradict each other, you're probably misunderstanding. So uh, this this dream match up with any prophetic words you've gotten? Does this prophetic this match up with what you're being shown in scripture? Does this match up with open doors in your life? Does this match up with mentors in your church, what their opinion of it is? And in the New Testament, the prophetic people had to submit the prophecy to like a local body of elders. It wasn't just I had a prophecy. Everybody do this. Or I had a dream. Everybody do this. There was supposed to be a group of elders that would pray over it and examine it and see what they were led. And it should be unanimous. Um, so submit the dream to people you trust. Submit it to scripture and submit it to everything else you think God's telling you. Sometimes it's God and it's just a, he's showing you a little thing for later. Sometimes it's just a monkey wrench. So that's one of the verifications, and the uh, this is sometimes controversial, but the, the theory is that God is light and life, and love, and so even if God gives you a dream that makes you upset or isn't good news, it'll be super brilliantly bright because God is light. You know, He's it's going to be a super technicolor, high definition, amazing kind of dream. The enemy has no light, so like if a God, if you have a God dream, the blues are super light blue, the reds are super bold reds. If it's an enemy dream, the red is like crimson and it's dark, or the blue is like a deep blue. So it's just inverse, same color. But if you put blue and add white into it, add light to it, it becomes a lighter color, tone of blue. If you add dark, black to it, it becomes a darker tone of blue. And so, for so example, um, prophecy and, and depression come from the same place. 
is this communion, a revelation of God, this communion with God. So if you have communion with God, this part of you, this, this blueness in you, this part that lets you access the spiritual world, if you're in communion with God, you have revelation. He does nothing about showing his friends or prophets. So God's in, in communion with you. Then it'll be like a, a you have the blue will be a prophetic thing. Like you might even get the prophecy. But if it's a darker blue, that's showing you're having communion with something else. And that leads, that's what depression is. When you, when you don't have communion with God, you have communion with yourself or with the darkness. And that, that was depression. But if you have same same function, but you have a community with God, it becomes a, a prophetic thing, a revelatory thing, because he's sharing with you knowledge and secrets and understanding. That is very eye-opening, what you just said about the relationship between depression mm-hmm. and that communion with God, how that's the same part of the brain that's being mm-hmm. affected there. Yeah, it's like, it's like you know, when you pray, you have certain parts light up or dim if you and I struggled with depression, anxiety for years. I was a peer support. My job was to get people out of the mental hospital and help them rebuild their lives. And because I had depression, anxiety diagnosis, I have a VA military disability rating for depression, anxiety. So it's been very severe. But the uh, the friendship, the communion with God gives you the revelation, which comes from the same source as where you get this deep, dark, void of depression from. If you're communing with yourself, or you're looking inward, or if you're communing with the darkness and the... Uh, Another part of knowing if it's a God dream or not, usually God has some kind of, I want to say a happy ending, but there's a solution or a direction. There's not, I'm going to terrify you and just let you wake up. I'm going to confuse you, all all kinds of confusing, and then you're just going to wake up confused. There's usually some kind of instruction in it. There's some kind of hope in it. There's some kind of, you can avert this by doing this. There's not just, we're just going to leave you at a dead end. That's not in line with the character of God. It just leave you at a dead end. So there's always a light at the end of the tunnel when God provides a dream, even though it may be something that you don't want to see or hear or something that's negative. Exactly. There's an instruction or some kind of hope or some kind of light uh, or some kind of option or some kind of piece about just accepting it. Uh, what's up? But that's not a depressed, anxious, terrified thing. And the dreams are just mild colors. That's just probably your brain processing, like the colors you see every day. It's like olive green. It's not brilliant, bright green. It's not dark, dark, almost black swamp green. It's just regular colors. That's probably just your processing. Because your, your whole world is a mixture of the light and the darkness. You were in that in-between space. That's very helpful. I never realized that about the colors in your dreams. And as you're saying this, I'm watching the emojis come up on our tote board up on the left here. And I see the big surprise face. That was really some very important revelation that I think you've provided some people with. And... I would venture to say, and you can agree or disagree mm-hmm. with me, those that have been called to be highly prophetic mm-hmm. because they have that gifting, the enemy wants to take that and twist that and perhaps attack them with depression so that they don't mm-hmm. really move in the fullness of that. Right. You don't have the energy to move anywhere. Like, I want you to go do this over here, conquer that mountain. But if you had a crippling stomach ache, you just physically couldn't. But depression is such much more than mental and emotional. I mean, this physically drains the energy out of your body. So you couldn't get up even if you wanted to. You know, you can't get up at 7 a.m. to run a marathon or go, you know, go open the doors of the soup kitchen or whatever. And it's also limiting. It's like blinders on a horse. You just can't see past tomorrow. You don't have X for, it's a little out of context, so I said Jesus a lot of context, but Hosea was talking about when the, when the people don't have a vision, they perish. And it was that chapter was talking about God's instruction, the Torah, and uh, kind of a bigger issue. But it's also true in a lesser level of if we don't have a vision for the future, we're just not going to go anywhere. We're just going to kind of sit there and basically rut. And that's what depression does. It robs you of the ability to see past tomorrow, to see anything bigger than your your soul can take on, to see the, wow. the bigger plan, the bigger purpose, like how you're in, you're going to change this and this over here. Yeah. Jeffrey's got a question and I'll read it out loud. So, because we have some people that are listening, probably driving right now, not able to watch. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey's question is, and this is a very good question. Are dreams that come from God easier to remember than ordinary dreams? Yes. Uh, The the dreams we have recorded in scripture, Pharaoh had one and he was going to kill every single magician in the entire nation. If they didn't tell what it meant, because it Oh, it might since he wasn't a believer, he wasn't a covenant, it might have somehow tormented him or just it perplexed him. He was obsessed with it. It's like, if you guys can't tell me what this means, I'm just going to kill everybody uh, that claims that they can help me. Uh, and also Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill Daniel 
Shadrach, Meshach, Mededigo, Abednego, all the Levites, all the Chaldeans, all the sorcerers, all the tarot card readers, because in their language, everybody was a Magi. Like Daniel was a Magi later on. Some other Magi looked at his writings and found, came and found Jesus as a baby. But the uh, Magi was their catch-all phrase for anyone in this kind of field, including dream interpreters, which is a full-time profession in Chaldea or Babylon. It was also a full-time profession in Egypt. But he was going to kill the entire nation of them because his dream tormented him so much. And Daniel said, let me ask God to give you an interpretation. And if he gives me interpretation, save my life, my friends' lives. And Daniel had mercy. And I think when you give other people mercy, you get mercy. It says, and it saved the lives of all these other guys. So even though they're reading tarot cards and doing numerology and whatnot, say don't kill them either. Because Daniel could just say, just keep me and the Levites and we'll run the country and get rid of those guys. And those guys later on tried to kill Daniel in the lion's den. But he had mercy. And I think because he had mercy on the other people, God showed him mercy. And he extended that mercy to Nebuchadnezzar because it's a mercy to give someone understanding. And it's not always this haunt you for weeks things, but it's going to feel different. So your spirit is generally held to be like in your abdominal era. It's like you have a perplexing thought that's in your brain, but your spirit, your hara, as the Japanese say, even in, even in uh, Hebrew thought, like your kidneys and your liver, that's where your spirit resides. And this is going to deep down the pit of you be present. It's like a heaviness and you can't take it off like a backpack you can't take off until it's interpreted. Now, I don't follow the Talmud, but the Talmud says an uninterpreted dream is like an unopened letter. So there's a weightiness to it that you don't get from a pizza dream. That is very insightful, what you just shared. Um, it's, it's worth worth the entire live stream that we have right now, what you just said. So. You know, and I want to talk about you know, there's such an aversion to dreams and dream interpretation in the Western church. Yeah. It, they, it automatically gets thrown into the other magi, the, the tarot voodoo. cards yeah. and yeah. Voodoo. And it's, Oh, it's voodoo witchcraft. Yeah. Yeah. Burn them at the stake. How did mm -hmm. we get there in the Western church? And first of all, that's the first question. How did we get mm -hmm. such an aversion to dreams and dream interpretation? And second of all, what are the differences between biblical dream interpretation and the tarot cards and the voodoos and the hoodoos and the voodoos? That's a good question. Um, so early in the first century, we see the book of Acts. Paul is going to the mission trip, I think, in the, in the westerly direction. And I'm bad with geography. The next day, everybody's flooded this thing. The church plenty. They prayed over and they commissioned him to go out west and do this. And he has a dream that night, a man from Macedonia, totally opposite direction. Pierce him in a dream says, come help us. So he wakes up the next morning. Paul says, I'm going to Macedonia, like complete opposite direction of what I told all hundreds of you guys and church elders and everyone else I'm going to do. Uh, just totally switched the entire plan. I'm sure he had people going with him, money going with him. And he was so certain it was a God dream. He just, I'm going to Macedonia instead of, I think it was Rome or somewhere like that. It was opposite direction. Um, and we also continue in church history. Augustine wrote a lot about dreams. The early church fathers wrote about First, second, third century, they wrote about it consistently. And then at some point, the church kind of took a switch of the Council of Messiah at 321, 325, Council of Laodicea, this Constantine era, where they just did away with anything that was supernatural. Like Genesis talks about the Nephilim coming down and having relations with women and this whole thing. All of a sudden, across the board in Catholicism, oh no, those were human beings doing stupid stuff. Those were not angels. Those weren't, that wasn't spiritual. That wasn't supernatural. There's no such thing as giants running around eating people in Canaan. Never happened. So the church is like a giant turn in the first two or three centuries because there's a book, uh, Demons, Devils, The Return of the Nephilim, uh, where the authors go really deep into the church history of the first three, four centuries. It's really supernatural. Then it just cuts off. In the Middle Ages, it tries to come back. And the way the Renaissance, which was in the early in the Enlightenment, is more the Endarkament, where uh, systematic theology developed, the church is like, okay. People don't believe stories and miracles and faith and these stained glass windows. They don't do it anymore. They just don't believe it. We're losing our power. We're losing people. It's hard to evangelize. So you develop systematic theology where everything in the Bible is some kind of math problem. And it's systematic. It's a system of theology and it has to match the system. Like you can reach the right answer. But if you don't reach it the way they did with their formula, it's wrong and it's the devil. So they started burning people with the stake with red hair and anybody that already negative blood type was targeted. I mean, just all these things, prophetic people were targeted because it didn't fit the systematic theology. And then the Protestant church took systematic theology and ran with it. And then it came to America and we ran with it in America. 
But the first three, four centuries of church history, especially the first century, dreams are a huge thing. Dreams are a huge thing in the early church and in the medieval, medieval church. Um, Joan of Arc was having visions, for example, and they, they eventually burned her to stake. The system, then systematic theology, the Enlightenment, the Renaissance, uh, America, and here we are. That's the Western church, so because we forget there's a lot of Christianity that isn't Roman Catholicism and evangelical Protestantism. The Eastern church, like Father Chuck, you probably know Father Chuck, he's a Greek Orthodox priest, retired, and they are comfortable with mystery. They're okay with saying, I don't understand it. God can do things I don't understand, and I'm okay with that. It can get you in, in trouble without long time thinking too, but all but they are still open to it in the Eastern Church, the African churches, the South American churches, a lot of the Asian churches. If you go to Iran or Persia, there's a whole book written about all these Iranian Christians who have never seen the Bible, never met a preacher, never been in a church. They all have the same dream about the same man in a white robe that appears to them in their dreams, and how they find other Christians. They stand on the square. Did you see the man in the white robe? And someone says, yes, last night in a dream. Then they take him to the ground church. But God's still doing this. But we have this impression that uh, God took a 2,000-year nap. And the devil is running around doing whatever he wants because God's sleeping, which is ironically what Elijah said to the priest of Baal. It's like, is your God taking a nap? Is he using the bathroom? What's up with your God over there? He's not doing anything. So the what Elijah accused the prophets of Baal of having going on, a lot of the church now accuses the, the spirit-filled Christians of having going on, or accuses God of, of God just taking a nap. He's just not doing anything supernatural anymore. So it makes sense. It does. It does. That You just unpacked like a couple thousand years of church history, and it answered my question. That was a legitimate question that I <laughs> had of how did we get here? Because you look at the Hebrew scriptures, you look <laughs> at it through the Hebraic filter it's about dreams it's about the supernatural the cosmology is a whole different thing than what we've got here in western christianity and you go to these churches in other countries and the supernatural god moving is just normal and here's mm -hmm. like well god i guess you know for them god just don't do that in america it's, it's the way that it is we have our so little oracle we have a little computer and a little tv and we have the oracle delphi we just consult this thing we just type in a question in google and some invisible force will give you the answer and so we rely on that instead of on god and if we don't trust him he has no reason to show up can you say that again i want people to yeah, under, hear yeah. that again so like if we're consulting our books and our education you type an answer in google it's like the oracle of delphi type a top type a question in google and this magic eight ball of a computer will pop up whatever you're looking for and we rely on that instead of on god like you get sick what's the first thing you do you don't pray you don't ask god for more knowledge you just Google it to death. You get medical uh, lab coat syndrome with the medical students get medical students and they're dying of everything for about three years because they're constantly exposed to all these different concepts of this, this thing. They get, they get fear, but we consult our technology like an Oracle instead of consulting the creator. And he's a jealous God and he doesn't play that game. I think it's going to get worse mm -hmm. as we see chat GPT and as we see AI. And I think that's really that's the new going God. to be something that leads to the image of the beast and, and the antichrist when it's, we it's, move into that ai it's it's gods our fathers did not know as the israelites were told when they went to canaan there are gods your fathers did not know like you've done stupid stuff in egypt but this is something all new you weren't even aware of and that's kind of what we're going into and like i said it will give life to the image of the beast like you're saying it's like it'll be the mouthpiece this is yes. the source the logos is the source of everything it's the end of everything your source, the ultimate source is the logos, the word. That's the concept in Greek, and we use it pretty much the same in the Bible. But technology is now our logos instead of the logos being the logos. Is, and our, I heard, the answer to every question is the logos, and we Google's answered all of our questions instead of the Yahweh. Yeah. And I heard I heard a uh, individual, his Jewish man, um, just say the other night that uh, with AI, we are eventually going to have a Bible that's not been written by man, but we're going to have an AI Bible. And that's where he's really excited about things moving to, which is very scary. This guy is not a believer, and I do not want to be this guy because what he was saying was extremely blasphemous. But it's it's unfortunately where we're going. Uh, there, God is, you know, he's everywhere, but, you know, 
when we start depending upon those things rather than him, the Google, and I've been reproved sometimes where I've had questions like, Oh, I'll just Google it. And I've heard Holy spirit speak very clearly to me. No, ask me first. And then, mm-hmm. then go, go Google it. If you, if you need to, but ask me, he's the source of all wisdom. And, exactly. and so part of John Paul Jackson's teaching was soul versus spirit. Your soul is your mind, will and emotion. And those are supposed to be three servants. The mind and the will and the emotions are supposed to serve the spirit. Spirit's up here. The order comes down. The mind figures out how to carry it out. The will gives you the determination to carry it out. The emotions give you the passion to carry it out, and your body is the vehicle. But we totally reverse that. Either our body tells our soul or our soul is telling our spirit. Like if everyone's strongest in one of the others, like people that have a strong will, usually athletes in the military, their will controls them. Their discipline controls them. Uh, they try to white-knuckle everything. And then the ones of emotion end up in more of the charismatic churches and more musical, creative, where they're just their emotions are their God. Their emotions are the test of truth. And then you get like the church reformers and a lot of the reform movement. Their mind is their God and their mind overrides the spirit. And if their mind can't understand it, it can't be the spirit. And that's where we get a lot of this uh, chat GPT and stuff is a lot of people are ruled by their mind or their their worldview is completely intellectual. And in Japanese thought, there's five elements. There's like earth, wind, fire, wind, uh, void, and water. But there's a concept of void. Creativity comes from this invisible place. It's like this ether kind of floating around the atmosphere. And there's this ether, or we might say spirit, or spiritual environment. The zeitgeist just kind of uh, goes from this mystical place through you to produce something in the physical. And... I think the chat GPT and the technologies, Dr. Chuck Messler said he's a Christian physicist, is that will be part of that these kind of system where this technology isn't going to come up. We, we assume it's coming up with things from mathematics and books and knowledge. But what the source of what it's putting out is actually a spiritual source. It's that void or that ether or that abyss. And it's not getting its source from human knowledge, from humanism. It's getting its information and its ideas from somewhere else. And it's just filtering it through to the physical world. That's kind of my theory on that right now. It's just kind of like, was it Kern? They're just trying to pull something out of another dimension and bring it here, which does not turn out well usually. If anybody saw the reimagined Battlestar Galacticons in the sci-fi channel in the early 2000s, you know how this is going to go. And that's where it's going. And the theological concept was in there with the Stargate. yeah, that yeah, Stargate as well. I mean, the theological concepts are there, and this is unfortunately where we're heading. And you know, this ties into what we're talking about with the dreams and dream interpretation, because there are some people who are, hey, I just go off the dreams that I get at night, and they wind mm-hmm. up their life is a hot mess when they do that. Mm-hmm. And what you've said this evening, and I want to reiterate this for those that are watching and or listening on the replay, you have to be grounded in the Bible. The Bible and fellowship and community and keep a record on the book. So the constant scripture books were open, books are open because there was always a record. If you have a dream journal or if you have a journal or you have this record of God told me this last week and the week before that, and the week before that, and this new thing completely contradicts all of that. So you have to have a history with God and a history with your local faith community and also history of understanding scripture. Because without that, you just go in blind. So, you know, it's like a kids first day at the carnival and then somebody's parents just dropped them off <laughs> that's a really good analogy so i'm gonna i'm gonna throw some zingers out there yeah. for you and i believe this is, these are some questions that some people may have and mm-hmm. if anybody else has got any other ones that are watching right now go ahead and ask us when you have a recurring dream mm-hmm. something that you see over and over again and you've determined it's from god mm-hmm. What is he? Why is this dream recurring? What is why does he repeat a dream? What is, what's he trying to show us? So, like in Greek and Hebrew languages, we don't have super, you don't have superlatives. You can't say tall, taller, tallest. This is not a concept. You say tall, tall, tall. This is the tallest person you've ever seen in your life. Tall, tall, tall. Or tall, tall, they're pretty tall, but they're the tallest thing ever. Tall, tall, tall. So, three is the number of confirmation, also three witnesses. You couldn't do anything without two or three witnesses. Couldn't execute someone, you couldn't sign a contract, everything required to the witnesses. So sometimes it's three times because this is a sealed deal. This is going to happen. And it's just repeating until you prepare for it, until you accept it as a fact. And uh, 
till you accept it as a you to you take it seriously, it will repeat. To you accept this is probably a thing I need to address. It's going to repeat. And sometimes things repeat. If it happens three times, that's it. That's a confirmation. Okay, this is a sealed deal. If it's two times, probably alterable. Three times, it's sealed. Uh, if it just keeps going and going, it's like your car. If you don't put your seatbelt on, it's going to ding and ding and ding until you lose your mind. And it's not the uh, Henry Ford, a real terrible person to waste. be mean to you. It's, you know, you're in a Ford Focus and you got to put the seatbelt on to make it stop. So what is this wanting to, what's that little signal that looks like this telling you to do? What's this dream instructing you to do? It's not something like PTSD. You've got things you're in your mind you're avoiding and it's going to keep happening until you face it. Or it's a person you haven't forgiven. It's going to keep on until you forgive them. But there's always some kind of action it's trying to propel you to and it keeps on until you do it. Now, if it's like a fear dream or night terror, you can make a covenant or make a demand or just say, I don't, you know, God, you call me to be a prophet or a dreamer or whatever, whatever, whatever. Your vision, your gift is, your repertoire gifting. But I don't want to do it anymore. It's like you can get so terrified by your dreams or so confused by them. You will just swear off like, God, don't give me any more dreams. And people have done that. They start out super prophetic. They have these night terrors for years. They try to fix it on their own or with their psychologist instead of going to God to fix it. And then they just swear off dreams. I don't want any more dreams. And they don't dream for decades. And then one day they get healed. They find out what's happening. And they start dreaming again. And they're like this amazingly prophetic person. But they missed all those years of people they could have helped. Because the enemy bullied them through their dreams into not wanting any more dreams. Mm. Mm. Okay. And Hey, we got, um, talk about three, three times. We have three, three chances of this from Proverbs guy ministry, my very good friend and co goof friend, but then he corrected yep. it to good friend. I'm both. Yeah. We have, let's talk Shalom podcast together. Every <laughs> Most every night, Monday night, we had a little break because of the biblical feast. Uh, but, uh, we're going to get back into it. So Let's Talk Shalom was my TV show on a Christian station for about a year. And the show ended on TV, and now we're transitioning to a podcast. Nice. Nice. So let's Talk Shalom.com. We have our guests are on there from previous episodes and also uh, some of the TV episodes and some links to other resources and things. Nice. What's that website again? Let's Talk Shalom.com. Let's Talk Shalom.com. So for those that are viewing and listening, check out that website. And you'll find out more about Brian and, and Proverbs uh, 16 Ministries and uh, Proverbs Guy Ministries as well. So I'm going to throw a couple more zingers at you. Yeah. And this has actually happened in Casa de Glen, my yeah. house. What does it mean when two people, like a husband and wife, mm -hmm. have almost the same exact dream at the same time with the same symbols in it? Well, you're supposed to be your husband, Echad which is a plural oneness, like Yikad is like one grape. Echad is a plural oneness, as it says in the Deuteronomy. Here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jews say it all the time. It's actually something they use to, to not believe in Yeshua, but it's a plural oneness. So you two together make one human being. You two together make one flesh. And if it's an imperative, just so one of you doesn't miss it, he gives it to both of you at once. Like this is a verification, like this was God, because timing is also often a mark of the supernatural. Well, you had a vaguely similar dream in 1995. She had one in 2005. Like, eh, maybe. But if you have the same night, same time, it's like, okay, this is definitely a spiritual thing. There's no natural explanation. God's trying to get our attention. And there, it could affect both of you. And sometimes it's something you have to do together. Like if, if it's both, if you have a child together, it's about your child. Or if he wants you to move to China, and she's not going to go along with it because she just doesn't want to, or, or vice versa. She might call the Romanian. You're like, no, I like America. Then you all both have the same dream. So you'd be in unison. The purpose would probably be to give you unity. Beautiful. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Another question. Oftentimes myself and mm -hmm. a lot of other people that I know, they have dreams at like 3 o'clock or 3.45 in the morning. The witching hour. The witching hour. Can you explain mm -hmm. that a little bit, please? So uh, there's four watches of the night, 6 to 9, 9 to midnight midnight to 3 a.m., 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And it, everything in the spiritual goes both ways. You have prophets and psychics have the same equipment. They're tuning their satellite in. They have a satellite. I have an antenna. They have a satellite. But they're tuning that satellite into different stations. One's got the church channel and they're a prophet. Uh, one's got the psychic network and, and they're a psychic. they got Skinamax or something. But they both have the equipment to do this thing that most people can't do. But who, which station are they tuning into? 
is kind of the uh, thing. So the witching hour is the same way. It's between, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. was most, most violent crimes committed. Uh, Perry Stone had a whole video about this. Um, that's when Jesus walked on water. It was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. A lot of rabbis in Israel get up at 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. to pray with their students for the daybreaks. The morning sacrifice is 6 a.m. So between 3 and 6, they're preparing the morning sacrifice. Between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., they're preparing the evening sacrifice. So you have the spiritual activity right before dawn or right before twilight. So a lot of spiritual activity going on. And uh, that's when we're also you're completely sedated because you're in REM sleep when you dream. Your eyeballs move real fast, but your body's paralyzed. So you don't get up and jump through a window or try to make it a laundry or something, you know, completely unconscious. Uh, so you're paralyzed. So you're a vulnerable state. So that means you can't argue with God. You, you dream while you're asleep. So a few times you can't argue with God. Uh, so he can give you instructions, but you're also vulnerable to these supernatural things. And REM times about when most, probably about 3 a.m. for most Westerners. Now in the olden days, like the Amish, they had two sleeps, also medieval Europe. Sunset, you know, long winter sunset to whenever you wake up is your first sleep. You get up two or three hours, you cook, clean, read, whatever. And about 3 a.m., you go back to sleep for second sleep. Uh, but they notice that they're awake around 3 a.m., all of a sudden, this is incubus, succubus, all this crazy stuff is happening around that time because they were awake because of the second sleep thing they had going on. So it's a highly spiritual time for both forces. You know, you can be really have a God encounter. You can have a demon encounter, but you're more likely to have an encounter at that time because God, it's the whole world is about calendars. Uh, he gave us seven biblical feasts. He gave us a Sabbath. He's very concerned about time. Even in Daniel seven, the Antichrist seeks to change the times and the law. Not just the law, he seeks to change our entire concept of time. So God's very big on time, even the time of day. Morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice, those are two big times. 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. and then 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. And then the week, the Sabbath, and you have seven feast days throughout the year. That makes a lot of sense. The 3 a.m., 3.45 a.m., I like how you say you're either tuned into the Christian channel or the psychic friends. Psychic friends, yes. Yeah. But it's the same equipment. Yeah, the same equipment. Yeah. Uh, here, All right, we got a we got it. a big one here. So I'm going to read this um, so that everybody can hear the question. When you have a God-sent dream, is any symbolism going to relate to symbolism in Scripture? Reason I ask, 30 years ago at home Bible study, study someone mentioned a dream, and another person gave their interpretation which related to being delivered from religious spirits. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was me being a cynic uh, or a check of the spirit, but I felt that interpretation was more along their biases. Mm -hmm. Well, I felt that the dream, which included the dreamer choking was more related to, to the thorn. Mm -hmm. So with this, there are certain symbols that God uses that are consistent with scripture in dreams. Right, right. Oh, well, the sons of Sceva tried to use Jesus' name and Paul's name to drive out demons and didn't work out too well. But they were using biblical people that were doing biblical things. They just have a relationship with them. And when we want to look holy without having any kind of relationship, we just have religion. We have religion instead of relationship. And we can make things look kind of sort of spiritual. You know, it's like making a it's like making a Big Mac look like an actual like giant burger from five guys. You know, it's a you can make it look kind of sort of like that thing, but it's it's not really, and it's never going to be. And I read the feeling with this one; it was it felt like a religious thing of like, I want to look spiritual, and if I don't interpret this dream, I won't look spiritual. So let me throw out some Bible verses to make it look spiritual. I don't know what the where the thorn was going because it cut off, but and so in Hebrew and in Greek too, wind and breath and spirit, it's the same word. So if you're being choked. Is that your oxygen being cut off in the natural representation or is that your spirit being cut off in the spiritual representation? And they were having trouble accessing the spirit enough of the spirit to really live their life the way God intended them to. And the Python is a divination spirit that cuts off your air. So maybe that's part of it, but it felt like the person having the dream was really struggling spiritually to get, you know, get enough of the spirit to keep going through life, do what they need to do. And this other person jumped in with some, some religious babbling. Okay, the one curious. Okay, being choked out. Yeah, so they're under so much anxiety, it's choking them out. It's like cutting off their access to the spirit. So that's probably what they're going with. And this this called us sometimes a self-conditioned dream. This dream is showing you what's going on with you. Like you had a check engine light in your car, 
that says oil. Your car is telling you you need some oil. You don't need a booming voice from heaven. You just need to, okay, well, yeah, that's a problem there. I smell it burning. So your, your soul, your mind, one emotions can tell you what's going on with you so you can fix it. And sometimes God tells you. But he built the soul as well, the spirit. He built your soul to diagnose itself, to tell you what's going on. And she's got too much on her plate. She's really struggling. She's got anxiety about all this stuff because she's trying to control too much stuff. And we, we rely on control instead of mercy. This is what you end up with, anxiety. I've lived 43 years of it. Um, that's the cares of the world. And it's choking out her access to the spirit. See, God wants to empower her to do the things she needs to do. But she's getting the oxygen he gives her to do it is being choked out by all this other stuff. Because she's planted herself in this situation where she's getting covered up with thorns and weeds. And some religious person came along and tried to do what a psychologist normally does with a dream. But throw some Bible verses in instead of. Okay. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I want to encourage Jeffrey with that check that he had in his spirit. Yeah, that because, was discernment, I think. Discernment spirit. Yeah, some some real discernment going on there because you know, as you said, there's always a solution and God's trying to bring uh, you know the encouragement mm -hmm. in there. And when I've been in these situations, when a word is released or a dream is interpreted biblically, everybody's like, Yeah, that resounds and resounds. you know resonates. There's that resonance. Yeah. And it often is scripture. Like scripture is the, the the dream coding book of so you can't make a dictionary, but it's it's typically, you know, that will be a verification. Okay, this is a scriptural meaning, this lines up. But you get that check in your spirit as well. It's the logos, the written word, and the rhema together. Because if it just checks out the rhema, rhema, sorry, it just checks out the logos, anybody can go through and just pluck out a Bible verse, Google search bread and see what happens. But you yeah. get everyone in your and her community and the written word and the spirit and the spirit in her and the spirit and the people in her circle all have the same mean, all had alignment. That's a big clue because God's not the author of confusion. If three people got two, three different things, something's wrong. Exactly what you're saying, Glenn. Just elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's really good. And here's the thing, too, that you have to be careful of mm -hmm. is you have to trust the people that you're sharing your dream with yes. because somebody can take that and they can manipulate that and mm -hmm. turn your world into a train wreck. Um, right, like that comment with the religious spirit. Because mm -hmm. the old is chasing the wrong solution. If you've got three minutes before you completely run out of oxygen. And they're telling you to do the exact opposite thing of what you need to do. You're just going to pass out. Because there's consequences to uh, false prophecy, false teaching, trusting the wrong people. That, that all has natural consequences. This is so valuable, what, what we're sharing tonight. And, hey, if you're watching us on YouTube or you're watching the replay, please share this edition with your friends. They need to hear this because there is so much confusion about dreams and dream interpretation. Mm -hmm. And this is just solid, biblically-based teaching that we're, that we're talking about tonight. This is, this is solid stuff. Another question. Does God speak to people in dreams who are not believers? Can he speak to somebody who's not a believer through a dream? Mm -hmm. Pharaoh, Where's Nebuchadnezzar, all these people in Iran that suddenly meet Jesus. But I think there was always an element of searching for truth. Like God's probably not going to keep talking to someone who's just brushing them off. But Pharaoh's in a desperate, probably in some kind of desperate situation already. So was Nebuchadnezzar was already in a, probably a perplexing situation. So they were open to, they were somewhat seeking. You know, they're made, someone's made up their mind. They're not going to do something. God can occasionally very abruptly intervene. But usually if someone's looking for him, he'll show up. There's a clarity cost principle of the clearer something is, the more difficult it's going to be and the more important it is. So if God's showing up to a non-believer, this is probably something life altering and vital. But he's probably going to give a non-believer a dream because he's not communion. He's, he's not fellowship. If you barely knew somebody, you wouldn't be at their house seven days a week. But if their house is on fire, you'd probably run up and knock on the door. So there's probably not there. And if they think it's, they're not a believer, they're not in covenant with the creator. And they constantly have these spiritual experiences. They could be, you know, having a spirit guide. that's just a lesser being trying to inform them of things. And it looks spiritual, but it's not God. If they're not in covenant and there's just constantly this weirdness going on. But if it's God, it does hit different. It's like, you know, you might get in a ring with a high school wrestler. He smacks you around, yeah, whatever. Black eye. You get in a ring with like Hulk Hogan, you're going to feel the difference. <laughs> And spiritually, there's a big difference. You're going to feel the difference between when it's a minor league spiritual being that's, you know, decaying and drifting off the darkness versus, you know, the king of the universe 
this is a different thing. Okay. Okay. And I want to go back to the dream journaling that you uh, talked about earlier. You actually have developed a dream journal that people can get on amazon.com. Uh, they can order it there. Do you yeah. have a copy of it so they can see what it looks yeah, like? My, uh, uh, my long-term friend, Melissa Collins, we heard a lot of together, wrote this is dream journal, but Brian Azriel Newman, A-S-R-I-E-L, Brian Azriel Newman and Melissa Collins. You probably look up dream journal, Melissa Collins, be a little easier to find. And it's uh, also on my websites, but this is just a journal. Uh, it's, it's really cool looking. And uh, so you've got basically margins. Here's a big thing for your dream. And these are side notes. And there is kind of a systematic way of going through a dream. You wake up in the morning. Okay. That's a large jumbled mess of dream. Write down the, give it a title. Your bullet point, the points you remember. And that's the start. Write down the title, bullet points, the points you remember. Did any colors stick out? Did any people stick out? Did any objects stick out? What really stuck out is called the focus of the dream. That's the main thing. There's sub-focuses. What were lesser things in the dream? You know, and it might be there was a blue rose. Okay, it's kind of random. It's, but there's like a super bright blue rose. And that's all I could see was this blue rose. And that's a different thing from, I was wandering through a garden. So those details you can put on the side. And you can just write them down. And sometimes you not not know what it means for two weeks, two years. And go to your journal and all of a sudden it's crystal clear. But yeah, it's a dream journal. We have it on the website. Let's talk shalom.com. Uh, ask your dream guy. Got, ask your dream guy. Got, got com too. Um, and uh yeah it's uh it's a helpful tool and not to just sell books but you can also just you know your notes on your phone a notebook i wake up so groggy i can't write anything that makes sense especially autocorrect so i'll write down a draw take the notes down like a voice memo or a note on my phone super quick and then when i'm a little more awake you can write it down with handwriting in a dream journal but you know you can record it any way you need to these are helpful tools the dream journal helps keep us going but it's not necessary so you can do the voice recording, make a notepad, whatever you feel you're led to use. And it's important to write those dreams down so that you can process them. And one of the things that you just said a minute ago, some things that might be, you might think are insignificant in the dream are really significant points to understanding the fullness. You, mm-hmm. you, you see the big picture, but it's those little things. And I had that, I had that happen the other night with a dream that I had mm-hmm. and I shared it with my wife. And it was, I was walking along a path of sequins on the floor and my pastor was with me and on my shoes, real gold was appearing, separating mm-hmm. itself from the sequins on the floor. Yeah. And I was walking down this corridor towards a doorway and there was a, a little girl in the dream watching me walk as my pastor was looking at this. And the girl, I remember her, she's fully grown now. Mm-hmm. I remember her when she was like two and her name was Hannah. Mm-hmm. And I, I did some research on the sequins because sequins are fake. It's the mm-hmm. fake stuff. And then the, the gold, st- the real gold on my feet mm-hmm. that I'm walking in the path of the fullness of what God has called me to do. And I kind of discounted Hannah for a little while. And then it hit me and I was like, oh, well, what does Hannah mean? And looking at Hannah being the one who, through travail and much prayer, saw the fulfillment of what was burning on the inside of her. So you have this biblical reference to biblical person. You have a yes. pastor. So this probably the spirit, the comforter is walking with you. There's seven spirits of God or God's spirit has seven aspects. The spirit of understanding is one of them. So he's walking with you to help you understand this. And then there's someone else. I think Hannah means grace who has walked a similar path. And they're there to help you understand you have two witnesses there to help you to watch you walk and to help you understand it. And there's sequins and there's real gold. And, you know, you, what you walk in your shoes, you're walking through like Jews called halakha, which is how you how you walk through life, your rules for living in the community, walking through life together in community. Uh, and also the gospel of peace. So your shoes are often your peace or they're how you walk. And you, you're walking through this process where you're surrounded by the fake and the real both. But over time, you develop this discernment of you're going to have peace about the real and you don't know the shake, shake the fake off. Even though they look the same to most people. My friend, uh, by, uh, sorry, Eliza Bessinger, before she passed away, said, God's will brings peace, not anxiety. So you're going to know what has what feels right, what has a heaviness, because gold's really heavy, what has heaviness, and what doesn't have heaviness in the spirit. Mm. And that you'll be able to discern that out. And Hannah means grace. And names are important, because we hyper-focus on the actual person. It's like, oh, you're doing my dream. What's the person's name? 
what does the person represent to you? What does that person represent generally? Like celebrity is 95% of the time. It's not that celebrity. It's about what do they represent? Does that make sense? That does. That does. And Jane Sizemore says, Brian is awesome. Hey, Jane? Yes, this is she, Jane's awesome. <laughs> I know Jane, South Carolina. She's super sweet. Oh, okay. Fellow South Carolinian. Mm -hmm. For Jane who's watching, we are broadcasting live tonight from Columbia, South Carolina. The, fancy the folks in South Carolina. Capital. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's the capital down there. Yeah, and it's uh, a lot of spiritual stuff happened, you know, the Revolutionary War and whatnot. And Huguenots came to flee the Catholics, um, the Catholic Church. There's a lot of great Catholic people. But the papacy, they came to flee the papacy and ended up in South Carolina with, with all their money and all their gunpowder. Um, the DuPont family, but there's a lot of um, spiritual places sometimes that sometimes you're in a hotel room or you're in a new city. You might have a dream that uh, shows you the spiritual environment you're in. I call it like night vision. Like you watch your day through your eyeball. Okay, this is what happened to natural. But then you sleep and you replay the tape of your day, the security footage of everything you saw that day, your, your, you know, your spiritual GoPro. But you this time there's a night vision filter on that thing. And you see everything you couldn't see in the daylight. You watch your, you're playing through your day again, but you're seeing it with spiritual eyes this time. You're seeing it with night vision. You're seeing it with going bump in the dark that you couldn't have seen otherwise. So if you're in a new place, you might have a dream that informs you about that place. I was like messed up dreams in hotel rooms because there have been so many people in there doing so many things of so many different spiritual walks. And it's just mm -hmm. all mixed, smashed together like melted crayons. Yeah. So the place where I've had probably some of the most vivid and I want to share this experience because it's just absolutely wild. I've been to Israel twice uh -huh. and both times I went, the dreams were very, very vivid. The first one, when I went to Israel, I saw people, some people that I was with in South Carolina for who they were. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the mask was ripped off and I saw well, how you had the distance to see clearly. Yes. Yes. Now, the second time I was in Israel. um. I was on an army base in Israel. I was working with the Israeli Defense Forces. Mm -hmm. And I was in a room. I was in a Connex box. And mm -hmm. I had a very vivid dream that my kids and I were in a car accident. And I could feel the car rolling and everything like that. And it was so vivid that I was going to call my ex-wife at the time and ask her if the kids were okay. But I didn't. So then the next night... Um, a girl that was in a Connex box down mm -hmm. from me, I heard her wake up just screaming. Mm -hmm. And she's, we asked her the next morning, what, what happened? She's like, well, I dreamed that my boyfriend dumped me. Mm -hmm. So we're getting ready to leave. And her boyfriend was going to pick her up in uh, at the airport. Mm -hmm. And he called her the next day and he dumped her. Her that what, what, what happened, what she dreamed came to pass. Yeah. And she had several, like a night vision. Yes, a night vision. It wasn't a symbolic thing. It was a literal thing she saw. Literal. And it was the same thing for me because three or four months later, I was in a very bad car wreck where the car, I flipped three times yeah. oh, uh, wow. with my kids in the car. So this was a I, literal thing for you as well. You got yes. a vision instead of a dream, you had a vision. Yes. So what is the difference between a vision and a dream? That is the hardest thing because i'm if i was in the fivefold ministry beyond that paradigm i would be a teacher not a prophet and it's like a teacher can tell you what this means well a prophet can tell you who gave it to you and what to do with it you know because this is when you have to pray for god's mercy i'm in a spiritual leadership class right now mercy's transformational leadership and it's all about humility and mercy humility to say i cannot do this in my brain on my own mercy is saying god i need understanding like proverbs 3 to Proverbs 3, mercy and good understanding. So you have to realize your own, own limitations. Like, okay, well, this was a dream. I can tell you exactly what that meant as a bunch of symbols. Or that could be a straight-up vision. And I think a, you would more know um, yourself through a lot of prayer. That's, I mean, unless you're a prophet and a dream interpreter and a teacher, you know. Like John Paul Jackson is someone who could probably tell you. He's prophetic. He can straight tell you what God said. That's that. I'm an educator. Sometimes God will show some mercy and, you know, illuminate something for me. But a lot of times I'm just educating through knowledge. But that was something you'd have to take to like a lot of personal prayer. God, is this real or is this symbolic? Is this is this a literal or is this symbolic? Is this a night vision or is this a dream? 
and what do I do about it? Then, uh, then you have to go from there. Like after you woke up, did you, I know you talked to your wife, did you change the way you drive or look out for anything extra or just pray, like keep it safe or. I was oblivious because at that time I was not really walking with the Lord very closely mm-hmm. at all. I was just, well, he showed himself real through it though. He did. And what was very interesting about it, and we we talked about this on the live stream that where you interviewed me, is I had a brain tumor removed from my head, a pituitary tumor. And it was after that my head got banged around in that car wreck mm-hmm. that my hormones fully kicked in. Mm-hmm. So it was like I needed that knock in the head. Like literally. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> jar it loose you know uh, and you know yeah. and maybe that's if that was a necessary thing for the medical purposes then maybe he didn't stop or didn't get instructions like this it's gonna happen just so you know i'm real i'm trying to get your attention and when it fixes something you know it's me kind okay. of thing it's a verification more than a avoid this terrible thing like a joni on table joni lamb on table talk uh joni table talk she was talking about a dream where her daughter had a dream i think and then the dream was shared and they actually literally avoided a little car wreck because in the dream, like they saw a way to avoid it. Okay. And this one, there wasn't, it wasn't an enemy dream because, you know, it wasn't the enemy trying to scare you, but there was no solution, which is out of the ordinary, but it can still be a God thing. Cause these aren't hard, fast rules. You know, the only hard, fast rule in the spiritual stuff is, does it contradict scripture? Like in a clear way, if it doesn't contradict scripture in a clear way, there's a lot of room. Like you can't even take in a Bible and trying to do this word match. Bread and dream. Where's bread in the Bible? It's helpful. But that's not a solid thousand percent all the time thing. Okay. And it might change through culture. Like there's no cars in the Bible. There's chariots. There's horses. There's no vehicles. There's no airplanes in the Bible. There's no cell phones in the Bible. So you look at the principle, but uh, what something's function, like a cell phone, your cell phone is dead and you're trying to call your father. So you're trying to call Abba, Yahweh, father, but your cell phone's dead then how you communicate with him is not working. Your prayer life is dead. It's broken. Uh, if you're in a car, what does a car do? Get you A to B. It's like if you're trying to drive the church, another car comes. If you're trying to drive the church to preach and a car comes out of the side and knocks you off the road, okay, this is your influence because you, you steer it. Someone else's influence, they're steering it. They're gonna Someone's going to come in your life and try to knock you off course on your way to being a minister. Mm. So you look at the function of the car. The cell phone, like a turtle, they generally – try to curl up and hide you know what does a fish do what does a bird do uh, what does an alligator do an alligator is a giant tail tail word plays are huge like a tail is a part of an animal's anatomy it's also a lie double word meaning it's like okay, okay. so this alligator popped up and it slapped me with his tail a couple of times and it really hurt so probably you know it's not a warning not to visit florida it's a someone's gonna pop up out of nowhere and start telling lies about you their tale, their false story, their lie is going to hurt you. And Hebrew is full of word play on words. Like almost like half the Bible in Hebrew is some play on words of some kind. Okay. And, and okay. God also speaks in dreams, which is a constant play on words of some kind, depending on your, your culture and language. Okay. So that leads to, we got another question from Jeffrey and this is a, mm-hmm. this is a zinger here. And we're going to close with this question tonight. Mm-hmm. And it's two parts. Uh, one more question. Is it possible a dream that comes from God does not come to pass? Yes. Okay. Um, 30 years ago, three different people I knew told us that they dreamed my wife and I had a daughter. These people did not know each other. Part two. We did not have any children then or now. No physical children, no adopted children, no foster children, not even a four-legged fur child. Did we miss something? That's a good question. That's always a thing I have forgot to because I had a lot of dreams and things that just didn't seem to happen. So did I not understand it? Did it happen some way I didn't recognize it? Um, did you give birth to spiritual children? Uh, but sometimes something, there is, I forgot the theological term, but like this is God's will and it's going to happen. No matter what you do, it's going to happen. Jeremiah and all the false prophets, you know, coming against Jeremiah. Jeremiah, 70 years you're going to Babylon. And there is, you're going to Babylon 70 years and there is nothing anyone can do about it. Just go there, be peaceful there. Pray for the prosperity of the place you're captive. You know, live with it. And there's like Jonah. Jonah goes to Nineveh, I'm going to kill all these people. And then they repent. So it's hard to discern why as a, uh, uh, what does Chris Mackey call it? Uh, Tim Mackey call it. 
uh, when it's in Bible project, he talks about there's, you know, the hard, fast, unalterable will of God. And there's things that can be alterable. And it sounds like there were three people. They're giving the same message. But is there someone in life you, she mentored? Like, not that you had a physical baby, but there was a young woman brought into your life. that was very important that you and your wife take her in and mentor her. Hmm. And sometimes we do miss stuff, but I think that people jump to the conclusion of missing something a lot more than actually happens. And then they condemn themselves the rest of their life. And then that's not the fruit of that is bad. Hmm. So it's probably not God beating you over your head saying you missed it. He would tell you once and you'd pray and sorry if I missed it and you move on with life. But it wouldn't be this constant condemn you over the next 30 years. Or or it could be that that's yet to come in Jeffrey's life as well. It could still happen. I mean, I've seen wild, wild things. My little brother was born. My mom's shoes were, shoes were tied. Mm-hmm. I know so many people who were born after the shoes were tied. Yep. My, yep. The story is that my ex-brother-in-law was born after his erectomy. The atheist doctor became a believer after, <laughs> after that. Wow. Um, so I've heard a lot of things happen, but sometimes you just don't ask God. God, was this symbolic or, or was this a literal thing? And if I missed it, can you bring it back? If the enemy steals something in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, God's law, God's instructions, God's constitution for all the believers on the planet, is if the enemy steals something and you identify the thief and your your hands are innocent and you ask forgiveness, you're innocent or you, you know your penalty has been paid for, your crimes, the enemy, ultimately hospital, the enemy stole this from me illegally. I asked that he be that it be forced to be returned five times what was stolen. Hmm. And you can mm-hmm. do that. You can pray for justice. Like if I miss something, cause the enemy, you know, bring it back five times. Wow. Or it could be too that there's a young lady that's going to be mentored by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might the be. Well. Hyper focus on our soul, our mind, what emotions has produced this definition from our own soul, not from the spirit. You have to let the spirit define things because if we define, okay, that means I'm going to have a physical baby in pink diapers, and this young lady might be in your path every day of the week, and you totally miss it because you're looking for a baby in diapers. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this evening. We are out of time and uh, we're going to have you back. (laughs) We're going to have to do this again sometime. I've thoroughly enjoyed our talk tonight. And when you interviewed me just a couple weeks ago, I thoroughly enjoyed that time. And many people were blessed by that interview. We talked about music and things, which is not my area of expertise. But Thank you have a lot yes. of with there where you can discern what's gold and what's 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 sequence too in that field. Yes, thank you. And we will be back next week with more music. And hey, to not miss anything, go ahead and like and subscribe on our channel, YouTube. That's Lithos Cry, L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y. We've got <laughs> we're entering my favorite month of the year, October. And here we call it Rocktober because we focus <laughs> on the music again. Yeah. And uh, we've got uh, great, great artists that we're going to be feature- featuring next month. And on top of that, uh, we've got a, um, a friend of mine who has a deliverance ministry. We're going to be talking about demons and awesome. casting demons out. Very appropriate for the month of October. Yes. Yeah, so and yeah, try hard to summon them. <laughs> yes, we got to kick those kick those things out. And at the end of the month, we are going to have another X Files edition. Alyssa, my X Files co-host, is going to be coming back at the end of the month, and we're going to be talking about seeing angels and wow. demons. So, boy, we're just hitting all the stuff that <laughs> the hot buttons. <laughs> the spirit of understanding come on the church. Yes. yes, Brian. Thank you. Anything else you want to share before we close out tonight? I think everyone should share, like, and subscribe your video, uh, your uh, YouTube channel. And you. uh, Stephen Bolin and I have Let's Talk Shalom. Tierney Rebecca is going to be joining us eventually for her co-host of us and her own show. So uh, look up Let's Talk Shalom on YouTube. Look up Let's Cry on YouTube. Share, like, subscribe. And if you think it's going to help somebody, send it to them. Because I know nothing about dreams. I was about 36 years old. It made my life very difficult when I had them. Um, I'm 43 now. So share it with someone you think it might help. Yes, definitely share this and check out Let's Talk Shalom with Brian Newman. He is an awesome, you can tell that he was on television, awesome <laughs> podcast host, wonderful ministry. Uh, he's, he does more than just dream interpretation. He's actually out there getting involved in people's lives as a life coach and helping people out. Um, 
you know, there's much more to us guys that sit behind these, these microphones and, and do this. We're actually out doing different things and getting involved in people's lives and, and helping them. And that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. This is just kind of like the fun part of it, mm-hmm. you know, where we get to connect. This is and a I shiny like say, thing that lowers the man to the, the rest of the understanding they need to do their calling. Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Brian, thank you so much. And to our viewers and listeners, we will be be back. I can't even talk anymore. We'll be back next Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And the band that we have is a brand new one, is Inspired by Faith. And there's actually a vampire story behind them. We've got uh, some vampires becoming believers. Oh, Hmm. my goodness. That's the kind of stuff I love. (laughs) I'll preach. Well, shalom to your hearts, everyone, and uh, thank you so much, Glenn, for having me. Thank you, Brian. Until next time, peace out and rock on and keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. Lithoscry.com.